0: Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. Functional Nutrition Podcast, and I'm Amber Fisher. Thank you so much for joining me today for this podcast. This is actually, um, as I'm recording right now, I'm recording episode 25. I'm not sure once I publish this if this will actually end up being episode 25, but it's a big milestone. really kind of excited about it because as those of you who've been following my podcast for a while know, I started this thing back in November of 2018, November 14th of 2018 to be exact. And over the last two years, I have lived a lot of life. So um, I've only gotten to 25 episodes in those two years because I had to take uh, a little over a year off um, just to live the life that I was living. So I went through infertility, cancer, IVF, having a baby who was in the NICU. Um, it's been a crazy couple of years. And I know everybody's had a crazy 2020, so... Um... I'm sure everyone can relate in their own way. We all have our own burdens, right? Um, so I always start this podcast off by just, for those of you who are new, who have never listened before, um, what I talk about on this podcast is all things kind of functional nutrition based, but primarily I talk a lot about women's hormones, fertility, um, autoimmunity. Those are my two specials, specialties. And then Um, Besides that, I talk a lot about myself, my own life. You know, I really like to think of myself as being um, this very authentic person who is very real and um, I want to be trustworthy to you guys and I believe that part of that process is by just being honest about myself, my own health issues and everything so you can really get to know me as a person and not just as this like phantom of a practitioner. So I think sometimes as practitioners, we're a little bit too, um, you know, we want this like very distinct boundary between us and our, um, clients or patients and, I think that those boundaries are starting to sort of dissolve a little bit with my generation. So, um, you know, I'm a friendly practitioner. I want you to um, get all the advice that you need and all the help that you need, but I also want you to have a good time doing it. And I like to really get to know you. So um, hopefully you will enjoy getting to know me as well. So first thing that I always talk about is what's going on with me. So as of the recording of this, um there i'm i'm doing a lot of working um thank you to all of you who have been you know so patient with this transition with covid and everything um i am i've made the decision to stay virtual for the foreseeable future um just because you know as many as those of you who are moms understand the whole childcare situation with covid has gotten really complicated hard to find a spot um especially one for a part-time parent. So um, anyway, I've made the tough decision to not go back into the physical office for a while. I still um, have opportunities for my San Antonio patients to like scan in and things like that. But as far as one-to-one consultations, it's all over the internet for right now. But the cool thing is that I've realized that this whole one-to-one conversation over Zoom or whatever, is actually a really cool platform. Um, I didn't give it much credit before. I sort of felt like it wasn't as good, um, and that's why I never really pursued it before. But now that I've done it for almost an entire year, I realize that really we get just as much out of these Zoom sessions as we would get face-to-face. And in fact, in a lot of cases, we get more because we have more time. I don't have to um, cut visits off you know, with a 15 minute window to like do this or that thing and prepare for the next person who's already waiting in the waiting room. There's not that stress um, because everybody's virtual. So, and it's kind of nice for y'all to not have to drive all the way to my office just so we can sit across from a desk from each other. It really, um, the longer I'm virtual, the more I realize that there's just a lot of things that like we were just used to doing and just thought that we had to do that um, I'm not totally sure really we needed to so that's one good thing that's come out of out of um 2020 is like i think a lot of people are realizing that hey virtual work is 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 pretty cool um it also has its stressors right and i'll be honest that like lately uh being at home with a one-year-old who is just toddling around on everything climbing on all the furniture um wanting to go places and do things um and not wanting to take his naps when he needs to take his naps. Um, it's been a little stressful. So I talk about myself as if I'm basically working two full-time jobs. You know, I mean, I, I, um, I'm i seeing clients. I'm running my business. I'm running my practice. I'm running all the marketing for my practice. And then at the same time, I am also a full-time mom at home with my son every day. So uh, to say it's been a tough year would be an understatement. But... Uh, I really feel like, in a lot of ways, the toughest years are the ones you remember. They're the ones that really um, help you grow and mature and gain wisdom. And so we're all getting a lot of wisdom out of this year. And that's all I have to say about that. Um, So uh, I am booking slots right now for Discovery Sessions for December if you are interested in, um, potentially me being your practitioner, I, uh, I take on a very limited number of clients because I am part-time. So I only take on people that I really feel like number one, that I can really help number two, that are really interesting to me. And, um, so there's a, you know, there's a process that we go to, to determine whether you, um, whether you and I would fit well as a client. And one of those things is that we do a discovery session. It's about an hour where we kind of go over your whole health history and all that. And so, um, I read uh, my business coach that I've been working with, which is another new thing that I'm up to. Um, she mentioned that since I get so booked up, I might as well start informing people when I have slots opening up. So I do have about six slots left for December for Discovery Sessions. Um, so if you're interested in getting on my calendar to potentially see if we might be a good fit to work together, um, definitely send me an email. You can find the... Um, you can find my information um, in the description box of this, wherever you're watching this. And um, you can also find me on Instagram um, and you can DM me from there or whatever, and we'll get you set up. So um, that's that. Six sessions. So if you want to be one of those six, get in there quick because it does tend to fill up. Um, And I'm not just saying that. It's not a sales strategy or marketing strategy. It really does tend to fill up because my schedule is, is pretty tight with Um, with the little bibby, So, uh, okay, enough of the stuff about housekeeping. I want to go over today's topic. So today, what I'm talking about is alcohol and fertility. Uh, For a long time, I've been meaning to do a podcast about alcohol because, believe it or not, it is actually one of the topics that I get the most questions about. Um, It's interesting how dependent and reliant we are these days on alcohol as a stress reliever Uh, so many women come to me hoping for help with fertility issues and don't even have a concept that alcohol could potentially be playing a role in their fertility issues and i want to start off by saying like i'm not trying to demonize alcohol in this in this podcast i'm really trying to give you the scientific viewpoint of it and then the viewpoint as i see it from my practice and To be fair, like, nutrition research is complicated. It's, there are a lot of different opinions about things. Like, it's not always, um... It's not always black and white. It's not always set in stone. But I've been doing this long enough and seen enough connections between people that I have a general idea of, of things that can set people back. And alcohol is definitely one of them. Um, there's this sort of, I call it the cult of wine. So it's this, this concept that we've sort of created culturally. I don't know. You guys have probably noticed this. Um, but like over my adult life, I've noticed that increasingly we seem to see social and cultural references towards wine. Um, wine as being like, you know, all the way from like funny stuff about wine, you know, giant wine glasses and things like that. But it's it's so pervasive in our culture now that um, uh, it's almost become this thing where people really believe that it's like the better option, or that it doesn't do the same kind of damage as other types of alcohol. So I think generally we would all agree that like hard liquor, you know, while a shot is great here and there. Like, it's not, it's probably not the healthiest thing for you, right? Like, nobody's going around being like, oh yeah, tequila, it's it's a healthy drink. Uh, maybe the keto people sometimes because, you know, carbs. Uh, but most people would agree that like, okay, hard liquor, maybe not like the best choice. You know, that we don't drink alcohol generally for the health choice. You know, we drink it for other reasons. But um, most people would agree on, on hard liquor. Uh, beer, I think a lot of people, you know, think of beer as being a bad sort of drink because of the gluten, mostly, Um, you know, the alcohol content of beer is pretty low. So, uh, you know, there's there's a mixture of different opinions about beer. But wine seems to be this thing that we've all decided is like somehow vaguely healthy, like, oh, it has resveratrol, has antioxidants, like, it might be good for my heart, like some studies show that it might be good for my heart. Um, And so we get this idea. And this is the same thing with coffee where we like it we want it and so we're gonna make it work we're gonna make it be this healthy thing that maybe it's really not um so you're not wrong like there are antioxidants in wine particularly red wine right there are there's reservatrol in there and reservatrol is something that is um not present in a lot of different foods it is present in chocolate which might you know be a better option dark chocolate um so it does have certain health properties, but but um, here's the thing: just because a food has health properties doesn't mean that it's a healthy food. Okay, so nutritionists know this because when we go through nutrition school, one of the funny things, like when I was going through my master's program, I came in there with like these very specific concepts of like good foods versus bad foods, and you know, like I was really into paleo, so I had this idea of like, okay, this is good, this is bad, and and um you know my 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 master's program's gonna play that out like i'm in the right here and the longer i the more classes i took as particularly biochemistry the more i realized that almost every food has both beneficial and uh negative health properties like it has things in it that are good for us and things in it that are bad for us. And it's really about the balancing of, of, of the layers of that within the context of the rest of your diet, right? And so alcohol, um, particularly wine, is one of those things where it does have some health benefits. And so in a, the context of a person who's already otherwise healthy, who eats a healthy diet that has lots of antioxidants and lots of nutrients, Um, a person who uh, drinks purely socially and maybe has a glass of wine on the weekends, like that can be a very healthy part of the diet and might actually be heart protective. However, the way that I normally see this is people who, you know, maybe it starts out with a glass on the weekend and then it goes to, you know, either there's like two types of people, right? There's the people who drink on the weekend and, um, when they drink on the weekend, they drink on the weekend, you know, or there's the people who like drink every night. They drink a little bit, but they do it every single night. So, um, of course that's, that's caricature, right? Cause a lot of people fall in the middle, I know, but, um. But yeah, so what's the balance? Like, what's right for you? Uh, The people listening to this podcast, you know, you right now who's listening, more than likely you're a woman in your childbearing years. More than likely you have um, potentially like an autoimmune condition or you have an infertility problem, right? And so you want to know what is healthy for you in your circumstance, And while I can't give like individualized advice on a podcast, I can tell you that if you're in those categories, more than likely alcohol, uh, even wine is not going to be doing you many favors. Um, so that's what this podcast is all kind of about is like, why is that? What's going on? Um, and just how to understand the science and then what I see in my practice so that you can make the decision for yourselves. I'm not here to like make the decision for you. And let me give you a little personal anecdote. I grew up in the evangelical Christian tradition. I um, originally was part of the Church of Christ. Those of you who know what the Church of Christ is, it is a fundamentalist um, Christian um, organization, religion. What would you call it? I don't know. Denomination. There you go. It's a fundamentalist denomination that uh, traditionally was very conservative And um, believed in, like, no instruments during worship. That's the big contention point. And one of the other things that they believed was in not drinking any alcohol. So I grew up, um, especially as a child, with this idea that alcohol was, like, you know, really bad for you. Like, only, (laughs) only, like, certain types of people would drink. Like, I didn't grow up with this sort of cultural understanding that we have now of like moderation around alcohol or you know the kind of this kind of European vibe that's sort of gotten into our culture that's like you know you can have some alcohol and and um, it's not a big deal like for me growing up it was like no alcohol at all or like you know you were just drinking a ton so I didn't really understand um, until I got a little older that there could potentially be like a middle ground with that Um, and then you know, in college I started like, you know, the world got a little bit less rigid, less restrictive. We left the Church of Christ in favor of the more non-denominational um, denominations. And so things, you know, as as I got into my teenage years and especially into my 20s, got a little bit less rigid, right? Uh, I could go out and have a margarita or something and it wasn't a big deal. Um, so my point in saying that is that I went through a kind of difficult like processing point over alcohol where if it could have been something that um, isn't a problem like I would have loved that to be the case because religion wise I felt like as I got into my um, 20s that the way that I had been taught about alcohol was like really overkill. And I was like, okay, like rejecting a lot of that fundamentalism, right? And so I wanted to have a more balanced approach to a lot of different things, alcohol being one of them. Um, and uh, I certainly am not like all the way over to the never, ever, ever touch alcohol side either. But um as I have grown up more, I have realized that, especially the older you get, the more alcohol does really affect you in a negative way, and um, it's often better to just avoid it completely. I do drink socially, but it's pretty rare that I have a, a drink. Like I wouldn't even say that I have a drink weekly. I, If I could classify it or quantify it, I would say most of the time I'm having a drink weekly less than once a month, so it's not something that I do regularly, and the main reason is because I just don't feel good doing it, but also because over time, I have worked with enough women that I've learned some of the science on this, and I've seen this in practice and realized that really, alcohol does not have a beneficial effect on me as a woman with fertility issues, so let's talk about that, right, because you're probably like, okay, (laughs) shut up about how alcohol is bad for me. Now tell me why it's bad for me so I can figure out if I want to actually give it up. Okay, so first of all, you know, there's the point to be made that like alcohol is toxic. It is a toxin. Like there's no way around that. Um, It is a toxic substance that you're taking in um, through the mouth. Now, is it like drinking gasoline or something no but it is a toxin and so your body has to filter it out your body has to process it and your body the cool thing is your body already has a detox system it has the liver and that's what the liver is for the liver is for detoxing um, anything that we take in that we don't tolerate and alcohol would be one of those things so um has to go get processed through your liver and then it moves on into your different detox pathways. Either it's, you know, you, you take it out through the urinary system or the digestive system. Um, for alcohol, it's primarily through the urinary system. But in the meantime, it circulates in your bloodstream and it gets into all of the places in your body. It goes everywhere um, because, you know, your blood goes everywhere. So in that meantime, while that liver is trying to process the alcohol that you drank, everything else has to go on hold. So if you're losing weight, it has to go on hold. If you are trying to filter and process excessive hormones, like in the case of estrogen dominance or PCOS, uh, it has to go on hold. And so you can see how if you're drinking alcohol, particularly like every night, how you could run into a problem. And I have seen this because a lot of people are like confused about why alcohol seems to make them gain weight in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense, given how many calories they're eating. So you think of a typical glass of wine, like if you're, um, you know, and those of you who know about like what a what a real like pour is, you no, know, it's like four to five ounces. So it's. It's a, if you're watching the video, this is like a little bit of wine in a glass. It's not. It's not even ha- the glass isn't even halfway full, and that's technically a glass of wine. So if you've got a wine glass and you're filling it up to the top, for the average woman, that's like two to three glasses of wine. Just FYI, in case you didn't know that. Most people know that, but if you didn't know that, now you know. The more you know. Um, so, you know, with with that said, like one glass of wine is depending on the wine you know what around like 200 calories okay so it's not that much and so you know if you're eating a pretty healthy diet you're probably in a calorie deficit you know you might be on the pathway towards losing weight you know you might be detoxing fat from your cells and that's going through your liver and all that well when you drink alcohol it's funny because even though it's 200 calories for some reason for a lot of women it seems to make them gain weight even though they're already on a calorie deficit or they've worked it into their calorie deficit. Um, And for some women, it seems to mess up the math. So they might be diligently counting um, calories and know their metabolic rate and all that, but yet it seems like the weight's not coming off while they're drinking this wine. And I've seen this many, many times. Um, We could get into a whole discussion about whether calories matter or not. Suffice it to say that in my years of practice, uh, I have found that calories do matter, so sorry. So sorry to give you news that you don't want. Um, They do matter. They are not everything. Um, There are many factors that go into metabolism, but calories do matter. Um, And so that's what's interesting about wine is it's one of those things, or alcohol, it's one of those things that can alter the math um, and make it not make sense anymore. So, um, you know, what's going on with that? Well, the liver is taking its time to process that alcohol, and, and while it's processing that, it's overwhelmed with that. You can't work on other things. And, um, you know, we know that the alcohol is directly damaging to the liver. Uh, Of course, in moderation, it's not going to be as big of a deal as if you were, you know, an alcoholic. However, there's still damage being done, okay? And so that damage that's being done, the real issue with women who have fertility problems is that oftentimes those women already have a sluggish liver. The liver and the gallbladder are very important for um, hormonal function, hormone, like hormone creation, hormone processing, all that stuff. So they often are already sluggish because they're already under a lot of stress. Add an alcohol to that mix and you, you're just adding fuel to this fire. Um, and so it's not, it's not a recipe for success. Um, we live already in a very toxic world. Like if we, especially if we already have health conditions, then we're already under a lot of stress. But even the average healthy person, we're living in a time when there's toxicity all around us, and so our livers are really working overtime um, to process everything that we're eating, everything that we're breathing, all this different stuff that's coming into our bodies. Drinking, um, so you know, alcohol simply makes that process harder. It makes that process take take longer. And what I have noticed is that. Across the board, it makes things slow down. So it makes it very difficult to lose weight. Losing weight is often a big part of fertility um, diets, you know, especially if you have PCOS. Like, there's no way around that sometimes a little bit of weight loss is important for this process, right? And alcohol is going to slow that process down. Um, The other thing that alcohol does, and we know this scientifically outside of the fact of whether you have a food sensitivity to it or not. Because you can have a food sensitivity to um, to wine or to beer or whatever. But even if you don't, alcohol directly inflames the intestine. So we know that it causes a certain level of inflammation on the lining of the intestine. And what's the problem with that? You know, every, we all eat things that inflame our intestines here and there, right? Like we all, gluten is is somewhat inflammatory to the intestinal lining, and yet many of us, us eat gluten Uh, a fair amount. You know, I am not a gluten, like I don't eat gluten-free. So, um, although many of my clients do for various health reasons, but most of us, you know, we consume some gluten here and there. And that's something that's, um, difficult on our intestine to, to break down and absorb and all that. Um, but, but alcohol really does that in such a, such a, such a very, um, the word I'm trying to say, it really affects the intestine almost immediately. And um, the problem with that is that if you have fertility issues and if you have autoimmunity, we know, uh, if you've listened to other podcasts of mine um, on the priority pyramid, you know that there are certain things that are more important for the body than others, right? And the hormonal balance is at the t- the bottom of the list. So it's at the top of the pyramid. It's like the last thing that gets taken care of. If there's imbalances there, we know that we have to look deeper. And the deepest place we can look in the body is the immune system, which is 80% of which is in the gut. And so we know that gut health plays a huge role in whether we are properly creating hormones, whether our hormones are balanced. Um, The gut is often the genesis of autoimmune conditions, so there's usually food sensitivities involved with autoimmune conditions um, of every kind. And so there's a lot going on in the gut, right? So the last thing we wanna do is add something in that's going to actively undo any healing work that we've done. keep in mind that this is a process like gut healing is a process it's it's something where you take two steps forward and you might take one step back like it's it's not all going to happen overnight it doesn't happen immediately it's not something that you make a few changes and um and you know everything gets perfect it's like there's always going to be things that are going to be difficult on the gut and um especially at the beginning of the healing process, you know, your gut's still gonna be somewhat inflamed and there's, there's a process to it. But what we know about alcohol is that it actively sort of breaks down the work that you're doing. So when we're talking about gut healing in particular, with people with fertility conditions and autoimmune conditions, uh, alcohol is like such a no-no because it's something that, it's a variable that we actually have control over. Like we don't have control over everything, that goes into the mouth and potentially affects the intestine. But we do have control over whether we drink alcohol or not. Why would we drink something that we know is going to cause problems with the gut um, and is going to undo some of the work that we've done? So it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, If you have not listened to, um, to my podcast on the jar theory and on the priority pyramid, I highly recommend those. Those are basically the the two kind of um, sentinel um, works that I have on like my approach to the body and how I think about the body as I'm making, you know, plans for people and everything. So I recommend those if you haven't listened to those already, and that'll help make some of this other gut stuff make sense because I get sick of talking about the gut all the time. (laughs) Functional nutrition. I mean, those of you who follow other like functional nutritionists know that like I don't, inevitably, ninety percent of our work comes back to the gut, you know. Like I got into this to do hormone stuff, and I end up doing gut stuff because that's just where it all begins, right? Um, you know, not a hundred percent, but there's definitely like a lot going on there that we always have to address. So, but I get sick of talking about the gut and gut health and everything over and over again. So if you haven't listened to those, listen to those, and it'll make it make a little bit more sense if you're kind of confused right now. But, um, let's talk about some more things that alcohol does. So we know for sure that alcohol also depletes some nutrients and this is another problem that we have because especially if we're dealing with fertility issues or autoimmune issues, we know that we're already dealing with a state of nutrient depletion, right? Like uh, for example, PCOS. We often have depleted B vitamins there um, because sometimes women with PCOS don't methylate properly. They have that MTHFR gene mutation which makes them not absorb B vitamins as well. Um, not everyone with PCOS has that, but it's, it's more common in PCOS. Um, same thing with autoimmunity. I mean, a lot of people have that mutation, but they're, um, we're often dealing with lower levels of vitamins because either we're not absorbing them properly, we're not eating enough of them, whatever it may be. So alcohol, we know, depletes us of a lot of those nutrients. So what does it deplete us of? Well, number one, it depletes us of magnesium, which is an important electrolyte. So, um... A lot of, uh, you know, people who drink a fair amount of uh, alcohol know that alcohol is real dehydrating, right? Like if you drink wine, you wake up the next day and you've got that headache, that hangover, that's usually that has a lot to do with dehydration um, because it actively depletes you of some of your mineral resources which are important for that water balance. Um, We know that alcohol is very dehydrating. It makes it very difficult for the muscles to retain a certain level of like glucose and a certain level of... um, sodium magnesium all these kind of electrolytes that sort of keep things balanced and the problem with that is that if we are actively messing with our hydration status it makes it harder for our body to create energy so it leads to to this sort of chronic fatigue so it's sort of a vicious circle um because a lot of times people drink alcohol after a long day because it sort of perks you up because it has the sugar in it, it sort of perks you up um but it actually, in the long run, can lead to this muscle fatigue, especially if you're athletic. So um, it's it's really better to um, avoid a lot of that. And if you go on the internet, you can find a lot of articles written by like sports sports nutrition, like um, colleges and things like that for athletes about what alcohol does to an athletic body, because it um, it messes so much with the um, hydration status that it really makes it really makes your performance suffer. Um, so, there's that, but magnesium's a big one because magnesium's really important for like three hundred different enzymatic processes in the body um it's It works at like every level, every cellular level of your body. It's important, and so um the little sign that you might be magnesium deficient um you know magnesium deficiency is sort of associated a little bit with um anxiety, and so sometimes people will take in, um, magnesium at night and it kind of is kind of calming, kind of soothing um what often happens to people too is if you get charley horse cramps, like cramps in your, in your feet or in your, um, in your calves, a lot of times that can be a magnesium deficiency. And I actually see that more commonly than I see it being like a potassium deficiency or anything like that. I see magnesium more often. And, you know, I actually, the, the, one, of the, um, one of the ways that I became interested in, um, in magnesium before I was ever a nutritionist was I was in my, um, early twenties and you know, like everybody else, I liked to go out and have a good time with my friends. Um, but maybe we were having a few too many good times. And uh, I started noticing, I was like getting Charlie horse cramps in my feet, like all the time. And I was like, what is the deal with this? Well, um, I, somebody told me to, to try magnesium. I think I read it on a blog or something. I tried magnesium. All of a sudden it fixed the problem. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm deficient in magnesium. Well, I didn't put two and two together until like years later that, oh, I get it. I was drinking so much alcohol that I was actually dehydrating myself and messing with my electrolyte balance, which was then making, um, was leaving the conditions for me to get cramps. And so, you know, those cramps are, are like, they're annoying they're not like the end of the world but they are a sign of a deeper issue going on with hydration and hydration is very important for for our cellular function so um So that's one thing that alcohol depletes. Alcohol also depletes B vitamins. B vitamins are super important for your egg quality, ladies. So, if you're having issues with, you know, if you're getting ready to do fertility treatments to take Clomid or go through IVF and do a retrieval, and you're worried about your your egg quality, you know, there are some things that can be done that help benefit egg quality. You know, Um, and having a good uh, good steady level of B vitamins is one of them. B vitamins they are water soluble. And what that means is that they flush out of your body, um, fairly regularly. So they're not like vitamin D that stays around and gets stored. They just continuously are used and flushed out of your body. So, uh, many people do need to take supplemental B vitamins, especially if they don't methylate properly. Um, but, uh, you know, even if you're a person who's like eating really well and you're eating a lot of vegetables, which is where you get a lot of B vitamins, uh, but if you're drinking alcohol, then you're depleting those B vitamins. And so uh, it's sort of like this this cycle where, you know, you might be doing everything right, but if you're, if you're drinking too much alcohol, um, and too much is different for different people, but if you're drinking too much alcohol, you're sort of negating a lot of that work that you're doing to try to be healthy with your diet and maybe to take supplements and things like that. So it's important to, you know, think about those things too. Um, a big thing... And this is, this is like, it's very personal for me. A big thing about alcohol that scares me a lot is that it increases what we call aromatase, which is the precursor to estrogen and androgen hormones, so testosterone. Um, so estrogen, and testosterone, they're kind of made from the same thing. And uh, women with PCOS, know this because usually women with PCOS have excessive estrogens and they have excessive androgens. So they've got a lot of testosterone going on. That's where you get like facial hair and things like that. But, um, and you know, carrying weight around the belly is partially a testosterone thing, partially an insulin thing. And those two things are connected too. Um, but essentially you've got um, this, this process happening where you are not ovulating regularly and so you're getting this overwhelming dominance of estrogen that's not being counteracted by progesterone because progesterone is only produced when you ovulate and estrogen can be produced all the time. Not only that, but fat cells produce estrogen. So if you're overweight, you have excessive fat cells, you're making this estrogen too. And so sometimes women with PCOS, this doesn't come out on blood work or it's still within the normal range, but when you look at it versus how much progesterone they make when they ovulate, you can see that there's an imbalance there. And alcohol increases the substrate that those things are made from. So you drink alcohol and you're adding fuel to the fire of having excessive estrogen dominance or excessive um, androgen hormones. So um, that's scary because, you know, for me, of course, those of you who've listened to my podcast for a while know that I have had endometrial cancer, which is an estrogen-based cancer. Um, I have no genetic markers for cancer. um, And I've had full panel run, like I I have no family history of estrogen-based cancers, but I did get an estrogen-based cancer Purely because I had PCOS and I had a very severe version of estrogen dominance. Um, and, you know, it's something that I still struggle with to this day. It's, it's you know, there's there's a lot to that. But um, certainly drinking alcohol, while I'm not saying that it caused me to get cancer, um, it didn't help things. And so, um, you know, I I live by this philosophy of, that everyone deserves one vice, okay? So I really think that if you're 90% a healthy eater, you can afford in moderation to have, you know, something that maybe is quote-unquote unhealthy because um, there's health for the body and there's health for the soul too, right? And some foods and, and things are comforting and, and that, that means something. That doesn't just mean nothing. Um, and so if alcohol is your, you know, vice of choice and you want to enjoy it on occasion, there's no problem with that. However, for me, given my history of PCOS and estrogen dominance and endometrial cancer, I choose to, for the most part, make the decision not to drink alcohol because I don't want to do something that I know directly impacts that problem. Um, So, you know, I think it's something to keep in mind, right? Like if you have a food sensitivity to, um, to whey, to dairy, you are probably, you know, like, of course, you might love um, you might love cheese, but it's probably a better idea to find something else that maybe is, like, not the best choice, you know, maybe gluten or something, and have that instead of having cheese as your, like, vice of choice, right? We all have to make decisions about what things we're willing to give up, what things we want to limit. And what things we want to have more flexibility with, and alcohol is certainly one of those things that's controversial. It's one of those things that everybody has to make the right decision for themselves. But um, you know, I would implore you if you are dealing with a hormone imbalance to limit the alcohol because I just think it makes things worse. I don't. I've seen that in practice. I just don't think it's it's worth the. Um, I don't think the momentary pleasure of it is worth the consequences that come later. Um, if you're a regular drinker. Um, Okay. One other thing that we know that alcohol does is it reduces human growth hormone. There's not a ton known about this, but if you have been following... Fertility clinics for a while, you know that there's like this trend of putting people on human growth hormone while they're going through an IVF cycle because there's been some research that shows that maybe human growth hormone has something to do with egg quality and everything like that. We know that alcohol depletes human growth hormone, which is one reason why it's so bad for athletes and why it messes with performance so much. Um, But we also think that there might be a connection between that and, and egg quality. Um, so, um, and egg development in particular, so uh you know, if you are going through a fertility cycle in the next like four to six months, it would be wise to limit your alcohol um or give it up altogether throughout that time because it takes a good four months for the full cycle of egg development to sort of take place, so um, usually we talk about that, and you know making changes a month before you have a an IVF um, retrieval it, it's it's still gonna help. Like don't get me wrong, but you're gonna see much better results if you really focus on that preconception care with like four to six months before. So um an alcohol reduction is one of those things. You know, in men, I don't talk a ton about men, but we do know that alcohol increases estrogen in men. You know, there's that aromatase again. But it actually decreases testosterone in men. And so that will affect sperm count, motility, quality, all that stuff. And it takes two to make a baby. So if he's not healthy, you know, it also can be a problem. Um, You know, my experience as a practitioner has been that... um, you know, oftentimes the type of women that I see, I feel very fortunate that I work with a lot of women who are, you know, what I would consider similar to me. They are um, women who, you know, have careers that they really care about. They have, um, maybe they're moms. They, um, you know, they're kind of like powerful women, right? They, they, They take care of themselves and they're really ambitious and they they have a lot that um, is on their plate. And uh, that's great. But when we are like that, when we have the stresses of raising children or we have the stresses of of a job or both, um, we sometimes rely too much on external things to reduce our stress. Um, You know, I'm not going to go too much into stress reduction in this because we're already approaching 40 minutes. But uh, suffice it to say that While alcohol does temporarily reduce your stress, it adds to stress on your body in so many ways that I think that the net benefit is not there. Um, My advice to women who are trying to conceive or who are um, trying to heal from an autoimmune condition is this. If you are trying to conceive in the next four to six months, ideally you would completely eliminate alcohol. And that's just ideal. I don't expect that most women will do that completely um, because, you know, holidays and special occasions are like bound to happen during that time. But I would advise that you get as close to zero with it as possible. Just rather be safe than sorry, right? Um, If you are a woman trying to heal from autoimmunity or trying to find a better balance there, I also recommend um, complete elimination at least for the first month to two months, and then maybe increasing um, how much you have, but very small in moderation. Um, I recommend that if you do drink, that you drink one glass, not two, not three, and that it's a real glass, a five ounce pour, and not any more than that. Um, And that you do that no more. You know, for the average healthy. Woman, I would say I would do that no more than like once or twice a week. I just think that that's probably the the max that I would do that I would feel comfortable with and that I would tell my, my clients to do um, because I've always fallen the opinion of better safe than sorry. So, you know, um, that's just where I'm at with that. Now, as I said, that's just general advice. There are many different factors to consider. There are many different women And your bodies are all different, and your health statuses are all different. And I know that, you know, some of the people that listen to this are already really healthy people, and you're just interested in nutrition and everything. And so you might be thinking that that sounds a little restrictive for you. Maybe it is. However, um, you know, I always believe in telling the truth, even if the truth is hard to hear. And um, one thing I will say is that with alcohol, even social drinkers, um I have found that there is a lot of denial in uh women over their alcohol consumption. Um you know, not only with how much they're actually drinking, but with how dependent they are on it for stress relief and for having a good time. Uh so I think the best advice there is just to first of all, you know, if you want to be really practical about this, keep a journal keep a food diary and mark down anytime you have a drink and how much you have and what you have and how you feel the next day. Um, But I think it's worthwhile to just sort of sit with your emotions around it. You know, I think a lot of people will probably have skipped this podcast because they know what I'm going to say and they don't want to hear it. Um, And so if you're one of those people who, you know, you considered skipping it, but you ended up getting through it, but you're feeling kind of like a little bit annoyed or angry or irritated at what I'm saying. Um, trust me, I get that because I get really irritated when people tell me what to do. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, so if you're getting really irritated about me telling you what to do, um, my only advice is just to sit with that. Like, try to figure out where that irritation and anger is coming from. Is it because you really think I'm wrong and that I'm exaggerating? Or is it because, um, you know, maybe that like, Maybe there's a little truth to what I'm saying. You maybe don't want to admit it to yourself. I mean, it could be either. It could be either for you. So you have to make those decisions for yourself. If you want a nutritionist perspective, you can book one of my six discovery calls coming up in December. But um, generally, healthy person uh, who is not going through fertility or autoimmunity stuff, you know, I would say like, twice a week. Um, The actual studies on fertility-related effects of alcohol, most of them have to do with drinking five or more drinks a week, but there are some that show adverse effects from one to five drinks a week. So better safe than sorry. Um, So, yeah, that's all I have for you guys today on alcohol. Um, So thank you for listening. And uh, just a couple of things before you turn to your next podcast or the radio or whatever you're going to do. If you have questions for the podcast on anything, nutrition, fertility, motherhood related, um, I'm happy to answer your questions on the podcast. So I I don't do a time for questions on the podcast at this moment. I might in the future um, as I get more questions because I do get some questions, but not enough to do entire feature on a bunch of questions. But um, I do use your you guys' questions as fuel for um creating new podcasts so you give me ideas about what things you want me to talk about so truthfully there is no question that is too dumb um or too ignorant like i'm happy to answer anything so don't feel nervous or weird about approaching me and asking me a question um you can send an email to the podcast the email address is an podcast at gmail.com you can also dm me on instagram and ask me your questions um But that is all I have for you today. So I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I hope you have a really good week. Talk to you soon. Bye. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.